Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. The title of the message this morning is Content, Covetous, or Both? We were reviewing our church standards, or we call it the uh, Statement of Faith and Discipline, or something that, to that effect. Thursday evening, and Dwight made reference to a, a head carving sermon. Uh, by Carlton McLeod or something to that effect on YouTube and said that I needed to listen to that. And so I did. It was an excellent sermon. Very excellent sermon. Given by a black preacher, I think in Virginia. If you want to hear it, shoot me an email and I'll or Dwight, and we'll forward you, forward you to the, uh, uh, what do they call that? Link. There you go. Forward you the link. Um, one statement in there that got me thinking, and he said that this doctrine of the head covering was a second here doctrine and uh, I'm not sure what he meant by that I think he said it's at the doctrine you never you know you shouldn't split a church over I'm but he, he called it a second tier doctrine and I was thinking about that and I was thinking like do we have second tier doctrine Yeah, admittedly in there, yeah, but nothing to get too excited about. Uh, certainly wouldn't want to get radical about it. Do we have anything that, because of our cultural pressures, that maybe has slipped a bit in importance in our mind. I was thinking about that and I was thinking of contentment. Contentment is a Bible doctrine. I went to Daniel Kaufman, Doctrine of the Bible, and I, I couldn't find a segment on contentment. It did refer to covetousness when he was talking about life insurance. But uh, I was thinking, do we emphasize contentment? Do we value it? the way we should. The spiritual, physical rest of I have enough. One of the 
the sisters in the church, and I forgot to ask my wife. And the secret sisters thing gave us a couple of two, three little boxes, and on it it says, "The secret to contentment." No, the secret to having it all is realizing you already do. One way to, I believe, acquire contentment is to eliminate the sin of covetousness. I think if, if, if I could personally eliminate the sin of covetousness, by default I would experience contentment. It's hard, it's hard and it's difficult for me to know with the way I was raised, the way I have been taught by example to understand covetousness or contentment. Now this black preacher was preaching to an audience that if they were ever taught on the head veiling, if they would have been taught, they would have been taught, well, it's cultural and it's this and that and everything else. So when he's preaching to this congregation, it would kind of be like equivalent to me telling you that we should all get rid of electricity and just be content without electricity. I mean, it's like so foreign. Now, the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't have electricity, but the Bible does say you have to wear, should wear it. And so I understand that. But, but I'm saying culturally, am I correct, Leona, that Arnie was 19 years old when they got electricity in their house? I think that's what he told me. So basically, before rural electrification, and at least in northern Minnesota, everybody was Amish. Now, I, I just can't get a hold of that. I just can't get a hold of everybody in my community not having electricity. I, I just can't grasp that. That wasn't. That's not part of my experience. I just can't realize or think how that would be. But somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, I must personally admit that if there's something out there that I want, there is a place where that becomes a sin. I have to come to personal grips with that thought. And God doesn't mince any words. I must 
come to that reality personally that my desire for material goods can easily cross a line where God says thou shalt not. It's a clear declaration of God. Exodus 20.17 Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. I believe the doctrine of contentment And I don't understand the mind of God. I can't. I can't see through that. I mean, I, I. I think I. I try. I mean, but the doctrine of contentment, I believe, is rooted in the character of God Himself. God is enough. God is sufficient. God will supply all my needs. He's very clear about that. And he tells us that we should seek him first. And then he'll take care of the small stuff. And so God, I believe in Exodus, is, a, is, is attempting to do us a huge favor by trying to redirect our life passion, which is normally wrong, from material possessions to himself. And so God calls it a sin. I don't know that I normally walk into Cabela's and think, Dennis, you better be careful. This place has high potential for sin. See, I don't think about it that way. I think, well, Cabela's has everything for sale. I can buy whatever I want as long as I have enough money. Or, I don't even need the money. All I need is a credit card. Someone once said, if the prospect of talking about sin seems so alarming... It is only because we fear what we may find. If we do not take seriously our capacity to, for evil, we are unable to take seriously our capacity for good. 
The understanding that we sin is a challenge to righteousness. So if I don't understand clearly my capacity for and bend to covetousness, then I cannot, I also cannot seriously understand what God would have for me in contentment. Could it be that I don't understand what God has, or I'm not understanding or experiencing what God has for me in contentment simply because I don't understand the seriousness of covetousness? I can become so wrapped up in it. Now when Jesus talked about, when God says, this covetousness, he's talking about the neighbor. Alright, don't do covet this your neighbor, that your neighbor, this your, you know, all the things of your neighbor. So, am I okay if I don't covet what one of you have, but I can walk into L.L. Bean and buy everything that I want? Because Mr. L.L. Bean don't live a mile down the road from me. Is that alright? So one of you have a new something, this or the other, and I tell myself, now Dennis, Dennis, no, 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 just wait, just wait, it's alright, yours is old, yours leaks oil, yours did, you know, it's like, okay, it's, it's alright, it's alright, uh, just, just, just rejoice with that person that they got this new thing. But I can cover something else. That maybe nobody in the congregation has. So that, you know, it's like I can't compare that with them. It wasn't my neighbor. Well, I think it's interesting that when Jesus came along and he said, Somebody asked him, well, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus expanded that to the people that we don't know. Right? Didn't he? Traveling. So, Covetousness doesn't, isn't dependent on the proximity of the item, how close or how far away it is. I would propose to you this morning that covetousness is determined on the proximity of my heart to God. That's what it is. So what does the Bible say about covetousness? I don't know that I ever sat down and went through what the Bible says says about covetousness. But brothers and sisters this morning, I am serious. The Bible 
minces no words. No words. Colossians 3. If you want to turn with me to Colossians 3. And I'm telling you, it puts it in, he lists it in some, some lists that we wouldn't want to be caught dead doing. I wouldn't. Colossians 3 verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is what? So, would you feel comfortable if we had a statue of the Virgin Mary in front here? For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which time also, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Covetousness is idolatry. Bowing down to an inanimate object, whatever it may be. Turn to Mark 7. Verse 14. When he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. Jesus is saying, Set up, pay attention. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him that can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are they that defile the man. If a man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked concerning the parable, and he said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatever thing from without entereth into a man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these, all these evil things come from within and defile everybody out there. No. 
may be yes and no, but everyone. So covetousness comes within, Jesus said, and it defiles us. It makes us dirty. Luke 12, verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Sit up, pay attention. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. He spake unto them, saying, The ground of a rich, certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits and he said this will I do I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul soul has much goods laid up for many years take thine ease eat drink and be merry but God said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee then who shall those things be which thou hast provided so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God this gentleman the successful businessman was mixing the ability to acquire soul wealth with material wealth. Now he says, soul, take it easy because you have lots of material goods. Now wait a minute. How, how can that be? Jesus said, true living, life does not consist of what I accumulate. What is there at 55709 320th Street? Life does not consist of that. Nor anything that is in those buildings or in that house life does not consist of that don't be confused God says Jesus says don't be confused what you possess and your soul wealth is two different bank accounts Romans 8, pardon me, Romans 1, verse 28, not a pretty picture. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God then gave them over to a reprobate mind, a twisted method of thinking. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding 
covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. He's saying here that covetousness, along with this long list of horrible sins, is a product of an unregenerate mind. Second Peter 2. What does covetousness do to the gospel? Second Peter 2 verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Covetous, covetousness in church leadership, like anywhere else, is tremendously poisoning. One more, and I will go on. Ephesians 5, verse 1. I'm reading these for my exhortation, and you can follow along. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Vain words. People will feed you and I vain words, like... You owe it to yourself to buy this or to get that. You owe it to yourself. The Bible says it should not be once named getting very personal in Dennis Martin's life nor the prairie congregation. Not once. 
I don't know about you, but that's a tall order. I do work in the Bible school after Bible school's over. And it's interesting to go in the girls' dorm and see what they scrawl all over their blackboards. How awesome tour is going to be, and everybody signs their name, and this and that. And but then there's some heavy duty stuff in there, too. I think it's still on there. What you feed grows, and what you starve dies. Now, how simple is that? That's what he's talking about when, back in Colossians 3, he says, mortify. That literally means to subdue or deaden by abstinence. Just quit it! <laughs> Just quit it! Don't feed it! It's bad enough as it is! Kind of like me eating at breakfast at 6.30 in the morning and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I am going through town and i got to pass McDonald's and Culver's and all these fast food restaurants and you know very well as I that I don't need to feed it. And I'm serious, that is tough sledding. I'll admit, every once in a while I cave in. But about 80% of the time, I'm thinking, well, 2 o'clock's too close to 5, and my sweetheart going to have something way better than McDonald's. Greasy fries or greasy hamburgers, so I'm just going to starve it. Someone said we would be less tempted to keep up with the Joneses if only we knew how little the Joneses really cared. They're so tied up with worrying about somebody else. But I had to ask myself, do I possess to impress? I think it's a fair question. Do I, do I possess to impress? Now we can look out and we can say, well, somebody has, say, $30,000 racked up in credit card bills. They've got an addiction. But what if I had the 30000 and I didn't have to put it on a credit card? Does that automatically make me 
free from an addiction. Is that a fair question? Just because I had the catch. You see, and I found this interesting concept in somewhere as I was studying. See, this is not about the money. Now, it used to be about the money. How many here remember before there was credit cards? All right, that, that just kind of puts us all in a category here. That's fine, I got my... Yeah, yeah, credit cards started arriving about mm, about time we got married, somewhere around there. You know, if you didn't have credit card, you had to give a check. And if you gave a check, the check better be good. Right? So the cash had to be on hand. But now, you don't have to have the cash. You can put it on the credit card. So it's not necessarily how much money you have. It could be just how far you want to go in debt and pay 24% a year. And waste your life doing that. So it's not, it's not about how much money I have, necessarily. If I have an addiction to purchasing, then that addiction points to a void, and then I need to honestly ask myself, what is that void? Why do I have to go to town and buy something to get some kind of a emotional rush, temporary emotional rush? Why do I got to do that? I believe that possessing for the sake of of possessing stifles our productivity for God. I believe it does. Because it stifles by giving to the poor. See, I won't have nothing left over. It will stifle having enough time for the church to serve I, I can't afford it. it destroys our family life work 14 16 hours a day how much family life do you have do I have family life is my priority my family Proverbs fifteen twenty seven says he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house but he that hateth gifts shall live. Now, if you're into the Joneses thing, I, I suppose it strains friendships through competition. I, uh, but one thing for sure, it saps our physical strength and makes us unable to be creative in the work of God. 
If my mind is so absorbed in collecting, accumulating, I will not have the ability to creatively consider what God wants from me in his kingdom because I will be so absorbed in the accumulation of goods it opens up physical strain exhaustion and it can lead to tension in marriage it can lead to spiritual discouragement 80% of all failed marriages in America have a direct connection to goods. Either hard goods, or money, or debt, or something else. 80% of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think too well when I'm tired. If I am shot, I am prone to discouragement. And I try to have enough sense to tell myself, Dennis, you're shot. You're all in. This is not the time to think about this. Wait till tomorrow morning. It'll be a whole lot better. And it will be. For me, it is. Wilbur Krupp taught a class in mental health at Minister Study Week about 1980, oh boy, three, four maybe, something like that, early 80s. And he said in that presentation, one of the benefits, one, one of the ways to experience good mental health is to remember to hold all of earth's possessions with a loose hand. In other words, here they are, God. You gave them for me to use. They're yours. You can put in there what you want. You can take out whatever you want, whenever you want it. See, if my life is absorbed in collecting... God will do me a favor at least once in a while of taking some of that away. And the question is, what am I going to do with that? Can I accept that? You see, if my focus is not on that, my hand is out here, but my focus is up here, it doesn't take a whole lot easier. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to struggle. You know what it's like to get ripped off, and I do too. Alright? It, it just is not fun. Alright? Or somebody, you have something nice, and somebody just, through sheer neglect, bust it, and, you know, it's like, who cared that? You know, it's like, hey, wait a minute, I worked hard for that. First Timothy 6 says, but 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can never carry anything out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. James 4 says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. It's interesting, the definition of covet in the Bible. It means to set my heart on. Okay, so now Jesus talked about where you're setting your heart. But this covet says, covet it says, I set my heart on. It means to stretch myself after. I am reaching out for it. Okay, I am producing effort. It's something I am reaching to try to get. And this other one is very interesting. It says, to inhale eagerly. I needed a light above the stove at Maranatha Bible School. I needed a long light. I needed a light you could clean with the rag. All right. I didn't want this thing with all these gizmos and sticking down like this and the grease getting in everywhere. And, and I didn't want a regular light because it glares out this way. I wanted a directional light. I wanted an LED light. I wanted a four-foot light. And I wanted to be able to clip on and off easily. That's what I wanted. And I was looking and looking and looking. And I walked into Kime Lumber in Charm, Ohio, and I went, There it is! And I looked at the price, and I said, You know what? It don't matter. I paid 60 bucks for that thing. Four foot light. There it is. God, you're going to give me this in our relationship to you? Does God take your breath away? Are you stretching out for Him? Or is it the light time lumber? It'll someday burn up. When my possessions are small tools for a greater cause, I can stretch myself out for that. God takes my breath away. And yes, I still use them. But my life is not revolving around those small tools. And I can experience true satisfaction in my relationship with God and use the tools. 
You see, God's enough. In fact, just enough. God's more than enough. Right? What more could I want? Where could I go for more? Why would I even want to look for more? Where could I go to get more? Is the American social climbing lifestyle more attractive? We call them material goods. <laughs> Maybe we should call them material bad. I don't know. Material neutrals or something. <laughs> but it's alarming to me. It's scary to me to know that I can be in some of them horrible lists. I'm not really, really, really careful. Now, content or covetous or both? God says we should be covetous. You know that? 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, Governments, diversity of tongue, all of, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all mer workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongue, do all interpret, but, covet. Earnestly, the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. We're supposed to covet the ability to be effective in the church of God, whatever our gifts are, whatever it may be. And everybody has them. And we should say, God, I want to be everything you want me to be. And I covet that. I reach for that. I, that's, that's my goal in life. That's what I want. I don't want anything else. And in that process, he says, I show you something more excellent, and that is that I need to bathe all of that service, all of that commitment, in love. Love for God, and love for my brother and sister. Then he goes on chapter 14, and he says that we should covet to prophesy. That is in verse 39 if you want to look it up. To prophesy is to be able to discern the will of God through preaching and teaching. So whether I'm doing the preaching or teaching, whether I'm listening to the preaching or teaching, some, giving somebody else, that ability to process that information and say with certainty, if I do this, this will happen. And if I do that, that will happen. To discern the will of God 
and to put it into practice. That's what I need to have. And the... Uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, what version is that? I can't... Not the expanded version. The Amplified. Amplified. There you go. <laughs> it says, I need to have a warm feeling for that. That is the thing that I want. That's the thing that I'm after. To know what God says. Know what the Bible says. And put it into life, practice in life, and find spiritual success by knowing this is what God's will is. This is what's going to happen if I do this. And if I do that, that'll happen. Contentment? Covetous? Sure. You can have them both. I think God has put into every one of our hearts the desire to have more. And He wants that to be used in a legitimate and spiritual way for our spiritual success and ultimately our road to heaven. But lust, like everything else, is a legitimate desire driven to extreme. I personally need to ask God, please take that desire for more in my life and please protect me from the twisted, lustful place that Satan would take, like to take me as a Christian and destroy me ultimately and put me in those lists that God never intended me to be. May God give us wisdom. Take that desire for more and be everything God wants us to be.